And verse 1, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to the God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then, drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be this child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honour you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manahadan between Zorah and Eshtael. Morning, everyone. How are we? Good. Enjoying the sunshine? No. Oh, wow. Somebody said no. Okay. There's a prayer ministry for you later. Um, 
Well, either way, whether if you like uh, the sunshine or not, uh, it's a great privilege to have you here with us if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive straight into it this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come before your throne as we've been reminded as our great high priest. Uh, We ask that you would settle our hearts and minds and our wills this morning as we continue this time of worship. That you would speak to us, both individually but also corporately as a church, whether if we're people who know you or people who are skeptical or on the journey of finding out who you are. Lord, once again I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you by your grace through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, once again, it's a great joy and privilege to have you here with us if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens. Uh, it's, a, it's always a joy to see kind of new faces from here on the front. My name is Shabu. I'm one of the pastors at this church. Uh, we as a church have been exploring uh, the book of Judges. Uh, just as the title says, uh, it's looking at the lives in particular of uh, a group of people called Judges. And we've been exploring this, and if you might be someone who's a bit new to the Christian faith, skeptical, unsure, I just want you to know in this church, we don't believe these stories that we've just heard from are like made-up stories. We believe they are true. We believe that they're relevant even for us today, including this morning at this service, that God has something to say to you. It is a historical account, and it really happened. And we come to one of the most, I guess, one of the most popular or one of the most well-known, I reckon, judges from the Old Testament. Uh, If you've grown up in the church, you probably have heard about this guy, the long-haired man who was able to destroy many enemies with one hand, with a jawbone of an an ox. Uh, Then you've got the storyline of him having long hair and uh, just... Kind of, this is before Thor, by the way, if you're wondering if I'm getting mixed up. No, this is before Thor. This person really existed. Uh, but also Samson's story captures the imagination of people for some reason. Uh, and particularly, I think, in Australia, it does. There's the story of this one person fighting uh, the Philistines. He was well known. Even he was made into a movie uh, in Cecil B. DeMille's famous movie on Samson and Delilah many years ago. And then many years later, even more recent times, when Mark Burnett produced, Mark Burnett, if you don't know who that is, is the guy who's made shows, wonderful shows like The Voice, Survivor, Shark Tank and Celebrity Apprentice, very important shows in the world, uh, made these uh, Bible series called The Bible. And one of the main characters that he focused on was Samson. And even in 2018, there's been a new movie made by a guy called Bruce McDonald, looks at the life of Samson. So he's still relevant. People are quite fascinated by this person. Uh, even there's been songs written about him. I don't know if you realize this. The great composer by the name of Handel wrote Samson's Otario. You can actually listen to this beautiful piece of music. Now, as much as we love to focus on Samson, uh, the story really is about God who interacts with people. The God who's very gracious, the God who's very patient. And this morning we're going to consider the God who is the God who works wonders, both then and now. The God who works wonders, both then and now. Now before we meet the great Samson, we're going to meet his parents, Manoah. 
Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. We don't know anything about her name. It seems in the text for some reason we don't hear about her. All we know her is as the lady or the wife or the woman, uh, but we'll call her Mrs. Manoah in our time together. So as we get to know this couple today, uh, I want us to consider a couple of things. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. Have you ever experienced something and you didn't really ask for it? And you sometimes think they're going to find out I'm a bit of a fake. Uh, This happened to me a while back when I had the great privilege of traveling somewhere to Queensland for a particular trip, and they upgraded me on my flight. And there's this moment where they give something to you, and you're like, are you sure you've got the right person? And then you go upstairs, it was, a, it was one of those international planes, and so I went upstairs and I sat next to this person and they turned around to me and said, oh, what's your name? Oh, my name's Shabu. And I said, what's your name? And this guy's name gave me his name. I said, oh, what do you do? He goes, oh, uh, I'm the CEO of Vodafone. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and in that moment, you're sitting there going, they're going to call security. The, the gig's up. This is, I don't deserve this. Even more in recent times, in 2015, uh, there was the great TV show, which I got really sort of enjoyed watching snippets of it, called The Great Australian Spelling Bee. More for my own growth uh, is why I watched it. The Great Australian Spelling Bee had a particular kid by the name on, uh, I need to make sure I get this right, called Aniridu. Aniridu was an Indian kid, yes, uh, nine years old, and he won this event or this competition should I say in fact he was uh, he was uh, he won the first prize and and all he thought and everyone else competing in that event thought what they were competing was for the glory of the title right they're going to be the number one spelling bee person and they thought this is it this is what I've received I've got this title but what they actually walked away with was a $50,000 scholarship for their education He wasn't expecting it. He wasn't asking for it. He just got it. Now, on a serious note, there's also moments in history when people react or um, respond in a way that we can't comprehend. We we sort of think, how is that even possible? How are they able to even do that? In 2006, a man by the name of Charles Roberts IV entered an Amish school and proceeded to kill five girls and injured five others. At the end of his uh, evil uh, event, he ended up taking his own life. But what ensued and what carried into the camera and the world that was watching in was the way that the Amish community responded to this event. There was grief, there was tears, but they also responded with forgiveness and grace to this killer. The Amish families made a statement. See, the guy who did the murder, Charles Roberts, was well known to the Amish family because he was the milk truck driver who made deliveries to the homes. And it seemed once they found out who he is and they knew who he was, that meant also they knew his family. And even to this day, the Amish family have committed to giving money to the widow and the young children. In that gesture, what they're displaying is both amazing and wondrous, unexplainable grace. And in the verses that we have in front of us, in the first few verses that we heard, uh, that Mark read so well for us in chapter 13, is exactly what we're seeing. 
So in chapter 13, verse 1, uh, we have this reality of what we've been unpacking in the book of Judges, right? So in the book of Judges, straight away we've known that when Israel is a nation, they decide to say, no, God, we're not going to follow you. We're going to follow the other gods around us. There's consequences. And in this moment, the consequences, they're given out to the Philistines. The Philistine army come, and in those days the Philistine army would come into a nation, they would take over, and they basically live in there, and they let the people live in that nation, but they would start kind of um, sinking in their religion and their beliefs, and it would be just really bad for the occupying country. And the Philistine nation had actually been in that country in Israel for 40 years, particularly in this particular area. Now, if you're following the book of Judges, you'll know that the book of Judges have all these different tribes in different areas. So the story is going on in different areas, in different sections, in particular in this area now where the Philistine army have come and taken over. Now, as we explored a few weeks earlier and through the whole Judges series, this is the cycle. I don't know if you remember, right? So Israel sins. God sends judgment. They cry out. Lord, we're sorry. God sends a rescuer or a judge. And there's peace. Then Israel sins again. God sends, you know, that's the cycle that goes on. But here in this moment, what you have is God hands them over. Starts with Israel sinning. Israel did what was evil in the, Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. That's just part of the normal pattern. God hands them over. Philistine army come over and they occupy for 40 years. But in a sense, there is silence. There's no Israel or as a nation crying out, Lord, we're in captivity for 40 years. Please rescue us. But what we see is a picture of a God who is so gracious that he intervenes. He intervenes for a people group, Israel, but also that he comes and answers, in some sense, the requests and personal needs of a couple. That's a beautiful picture here. Here is a picture of a sovereign God who knows exactly what's going on. In every section of all of Israel in that nation, not only that, he intimately knows what's going on in the lives of individuals. And in some sense, what the first voice that we hear is not even Israel or Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. It's God himself shown in the angel of the Lord. This couple, they can't have kids. And so the angel of the Lord appears. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you're barren, and have not born, a ch- uh, born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. It's a wonderful scene because here is God coming in the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is a representation of God and we'll unpack that as we unpack Samson and the book of Judges. He's already shown up once in the story of Gideon. Here is a situation that is helpless and hopeless for this woman in many ways. She's barren. She has no children. Not only that, this nation is in captivity. They're under the slavery of the Philistine nation. So the situation is, humanly speaking, completely out of their hands. In that, it seems almost impossible. It seems almost hopeless. So humanly speaking, 
Here is God who comes in with these words. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, the son that he, she's going to conceive and, and bear is not just any child. This particular child is a unique child. This child is going to be shown from conception all the way to his final death that this child belongs to God and his purposes. Do you see what, she, what the angel of the Lord said? Remember, behold, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So this child, we are told, has a role and a purpose. That purpose is to save Israel from the Philistine army. And to show that this child now belongs to God, there's a particular vow that has been told to the mum that the child has to take. Not only that, this mum also has to do something. She has to stop drinking strong wine and strong drink or eat anything unclean. Now, you've got to remember, right? So there's Philistine army come in, they take over. And then what they're doing is they start kind of giving the people of Israel to say, if you're going to live with us, this is what it's going to look like. They're going to start eating the food. They're going to start worshiping their God. So the whole idea here is this woman, in some sense, probably was already doing this. The angel of the Lord is saying, you're going to abstain from this. This is not what you're going to do. Because there's a reason. There's a child in your womb that has a particular purpose. God is not only setting herself aside, but also the child in her womb. And this Nazarite vow, you can look this up. It's, anyone can look this up in any kind of biblical dictionary. Nazarite is a vow. It's a particular vow to abstain from particularly strong drink, from any kind of impurity. And not only that, there was a key thing part of that, is to show that they will not worship any other god. They are clearly to worship the one and only true God. They were meant to be devoutee, to devout themselves, to consecrate themselves for this particular reason. It was a vow also that was usually taken of choice, either by a man or a woman. But in this unique situation, the choice has in some sense been taken away from Samson. God has already made this decision for him. It's to show that he's been set aside to be a holy man as such. And it might have been confronting on one hand too. You've got to put yourself in the situation of this lady who's been childless and all of a sudden she gets the angel of the Lord come and say, you're going to have a child. By the way, the child doesn't belong to you. The child belongs to God. And her role and her husband's role is to raise this child in a particular way. By you having these external kind of symbols to say this child belongs to God. See, friends, in these opening verses, is a wonderful picture of God showing his grace to you and I. I mean, here is a God who intervenes. Israel is not crying out. And out of absolutely nothing, he brings hope to barrenness. And not only that, out of nothing, he brings rescue through this Samson. I mean, as far as we can tell from the passage, it doesn't seem Israel's calling out. Neither is the husband and wife. Maybe they're hoping for it in their hearts. I don't know. But the passage doesn't seem to say they were crying out to the Lord. And for those of us who might be going in a situation in our lives right now, uh, in our own hearts, we've got trials and challenges. I want you to know there is a God who utterly loves you and cares for you and knows exactly the pain that you're in, including those silent cries that you might be saying in your own heart. And God is merciful, not alone to provide a son, not just a son, Samson, this judge, to this couple, 
but also the one who will be a rescuer to the nation of Israel. It's a picture of God's reckless, amazing, gracious love to a people who are not asking to be rescued. To an unsuspecting group of parents, parents who in some sense would be the parents to one of the big judges of the Bible. This is God showing his grace in his response. It's a wonderful reminder to you and I that God is God who still works wonders, both then and now. And then in verses 6 to 23, I've really appreciated taking the time to chew on these verses because it's one of the most honest dialogues between humans and God. It's down to earth, it's real, it's just up front. So the woman goes to her husband and says, A man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. And the ESV says, Very awesome! I did not ask where he was from. He did not tell me his name. But he said, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So don't drink any wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And the husband says, Oh, I believe you. I believe everything you said. No. He, for some reason, turns around and says, Well, Lord, please, let me see this angel of the Lord too. Send him to me. And you have these comforting words. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of the Lord came to the woman as she sat in the field. But Benoah and her husband was not with her. So the woman quickly ran. Behold, a man came to me and the other day has appeared to me. So Manoah runs and also goes and says, Hey, are you the man? And the angel of the Lord says, I am. And Manoah says, Hey, when your words come true, give us a bit of a job list. What do we need to do? What will be the manner of his life? What will be his mission? And the angel of the Lord said, I've, I've said all this to the woman, but there's one thing. Make sure your wife will be careful that she will not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink anything unclean. So she, he's reiterating exactly those things, what he's already said. Now, the, now Manoah is curious. I want you to imagine he's having this interaction with the angel of the Lord and he's curious now. And so all he can do and think is, hey, let us prepare a goat for you. And the next few verses, friends, is where you kind of need to sit there and chew on it for a little while. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah, in verse 19, took the goat, grain offering, offered it to the rock, to the Lord, and to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. Flame comes down in verse 20. The, the offering is accepted. Manoah realizes, oh no, I just now know who we're in front of. This is the angel of the Lord. It, it, using our modern day translation is to say, uh-oh, I think I've just seen God. Oh dear. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. It's all over. This is wonderful story writing. But it's true story. What we have here is a couple who are trying to figure out what's happening. I think, I don't know if you can pick it up in the verses. There's the language is underneath all of that. Is there's a bit of excitement. There's confusion going on. And I think it's quite humorous of the husband, Benoah. Uh, ladies, this is the bit where you say, oh, yep, that's a typical man. Right? Uh, here's a husband who, for some reason, doesn't want to take his wife's account. Uh, goes and prays to God. 
And he wants some explanations from, in some sense, using our day in turn from the horse's mouth itself. So the husband goes and asks, doesn't believe this. The angel of the Lord comes. Now I want you to put yourself in their sort of shoes, all right? Uh, the moment has come. Uh, the moment has come and says, hey, I wouldn't, I w-, the wife has just come back from the field and says, hey, I, I can't explain to you, but this, this is what I saw. It's this awesome sight. It's like a man, but not really. It was like an angel. It was really awesome. And so Manoah hears the story, goes and prays to God. Now, it's a wonderful picture because here is a man doing something quite unique in that time. Despite of his response for not believing his wife for whatever reason, he is a man who's been confronted with the news. And his response is to go and ask the Lord. It's a wonderful picture of a man in some sense in showing some sort of faith. And I think the author is trying to make that point here, is to draw this out. Because in that time, there weren't many people crying out to God, as I said. There weren't people looking to God for rescue. And here is this moment where there's this man wants an explanation. And he goes and seeks God individually. And so the husband prays. And you have these wonderful words. And the Lord heard his voice. And the Lord heard his voice. Friends, it's a wonderful thing because here is a God who is not just sort of pushing Manoah away and rejecting him in his request, but answers him in his request. Now, once again, shows God's authority and loving um, sovereignty in the way that he answers. So God listens to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord comes again to who? Manoah, the wife. So, not to Manoah. God answers, but not the way that we all hope he would answer. He answers as he pleases, as he chooses. And I think it's one of the most uh, funniest scenes. If this was a movie, you can just imagine the soundtrack going on in the background. I think it's a hilarious moment. So the angel of the Lord appears. I wonder if you can visualize this as you think about it, right? The angel of the Lord appears. The, the wife's in the field. She sees. Um, hold on. Don't go anywhere. I'll be back. She runs to her husband. And tells her husband, he's here. Now, she must have been a fast runner because in the text it seems that he's, she's always ahead of him for some reason. She meets the, so he comes, meets the man, and he turns around and goes, are you the man? Is that you? And the angel of the Lord, in uh, the ESV says, I am, or the literal way of saying says, I, not I as in Scottish, just I, the letter I. And he says, okay, good. Now, notice what he says. He says, when those things that you say come true, there's faith in that moment. And like any good bloke, he wants instructions. He wants clear, written down instructions given to him. He wants to get this right. So he says, hey, how am I supposed to bring this kid up? What, what, what do we have to do? Uh, how is he supposed to live? Uh, and not only that, what's his mission? Okay, you ready? Okay, I've got the pen and pad out. I've got my little iPhone out. I've got my notes section out. I'm ready to write it down. And the angel of the Lord in summary is saying, well, um, ask your wife. Wives, that's when you say amen, right? See, friends, what's going on is that the angel of the Lord makes it very clear. I've already said this. I've already given the instructions. But there is instructions for you, Manoah, as a husband 
who should have been looking after your wife, who should have been leading the family, here are my instructions to you. You don't let your wife drink strong wine or eat unclean food. Remember the culture that they're living in? The instructions in summary are saying, hey Manoah, look after your wife. Shepherd your wife. Love for her. Care for her. This is how you're going to do that. And for some reason, he's so captivated by it, his first response is, hey, you want to stay for dinner? Now, in this moment in the upcoming verses is where the angel of the Lord is now starting to say, well, I'm going to show you who I really am. You can imagine here is God represented in the angel of the Lord. He can't eat anything that's made out of defiled human hands and most probably Manoah would not be giving something that's been gone through the cleansing ceremony that's required, let alone made by human hands. And not only that, it's to make Manoah understand a few things. Listen, Manoah, I'm about to explain to you who I am. And so Manoah is frustrated, I think, in the verses. He says, well, okay, you're not going to eat my food. Who are you? Okay, who are you? Because the moment will come and people will ask me, who is your son? Who told you this? And, and we can say, well, this is the person. This, we want to give honor to your name. And the illusion of this is the big storyline of the Bible constantly. Like this kind of echoes what even happened in Exodus when, when um, uh, Moses turns around and says, God, who, am I? Who's, who are you? What will I say to the Israelites when I, I go and rescue them and you tell them I am? It's the same kind of language going on here. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And verse 18, the Lord's messenger said to him, You shall not ask me my name, because you cannot comprehend it, Manoah. The angel of the Lord doesn't directly go with the answer. The angel of the Lord gives a curious answer. And what he's literally saying, I think, is to say, Hey, Manoah, I want you to understand right now. As you're asking and have this conversation with me, you need to understand who you're talking. And if you did know who you're talking to, if you realized who you were talking to, you would not talk to me like you do. Rather, you would be bowing down. And what we see, friends, is a God who's being so gracious and patient with the questions and interacting and says, well, if you offer something, I will accept that offering. And fire comes down. Once again, this is again an echo of what already has happened in Gideon's interaction. It's a constant echo in the, in the Old Testament when God himself accepts the offering. Manoah knows exactly now who he's facing. In Exodus 33, 20 says that man, any man who shall see God will not live. Manoah realizes right in front of him who he's been interacting with is God himself. And he thinks, we're dead. We're done. It's all over. And his wife comes in with the truth. She says, Manoah, seriously? Do you really think God's going to kill us after he just told us we're going to have a baby? Do you really think that God would accept our offering then he's going to kill us? Uh, that kind of sounds like the gods of the Philistines. That sounds like the gods of the gods around us. That does not sound like the God that we have been called to worship. A God who always keeps his promises. A God who always keeps his word. Here is a woman, I think, in some sense, is the hero of the story who gets it. 
And friends, the story of Samson, the storyline here, is to remind to you and I that there is a God who does work wonders in the most amazing or most powerful way. And the God who does wonders, he, does, he provides deliverance. And that's the story of Samson. But God provides a deliverer. In verse 24, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manash down between Zorah and Estol. And now, there's no doubt about it. This last judge in the book of Judges is unique. He's not like any other. He is a kid, he's a child from conception. I mean, the language is so strong in the Hebrew, it actually says when the angel of the Lord speaks to the woman, says, hey, you're, you're already pregnant. That's the language there. She's already conceived. And this child has been set aside for God's purposes. And in some sense, Samson's life, from not just his conception, but also in his death, would show that God has a plan as it involved. But it would actually cost a life. Samson would die. And the angel of the Lord mentions that, and then she mentions that to her husband, who she knows in some sense from the beginning that the purpose of this son, this child, will be born, won't be fully complete until his death. The rescue of a people will cost would cost a life. And God's working of wonders, as much as we will get captivated by the wonderful, powerful stories of Samson, we should, the work of God's wonders will not be fully based on this guy, Samson. God will work his wonders as he pleases in the most unexpected ways. And you'll see in the last chapter as we explore Samson, it will be in one of the most weakest moments in his life. Because the God is the one who's rescuing. And friend, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, uh, the story of Samson is a reminder to you and I, there is a need for a rescue. Whether if you realize it or not, you need rescue, I need rescue. And the point of the story is, you might not even realize that right now. In your heart of hearts, you're not sitting there going, I need rescue. But God says he wants to rescue you. The true barrenness that we all face is sin. And sin, as Christians use, is the language that ultimately says, God, you're not going to be in charge of my life. I will be my own God. I'll do as I please. And we reject him. And what's amazing is that God does rescue, despite of you and me, by sending his son, Jesus Christ. The great Savior who is perfect, the one who was also to born to die so that you and I can have relationship with the true marvelous one who is made himself so we can comprehend him, so we can know him. God has shown in his wondrous work in Christ. And friends, for those of us who know this God, who believe in this good news, when you read these kind of stories, and the question I have for you and me, do you and I still believe that God still works wonders today. Do you still believe that? And I'm not just talking about in the sense of God healing someone. Those are wonderful, true stories. When you and I see the brokenness and the pain and the constant rejection of a holy God, do we still believe God works wonders that he's willing to rescue and save people? 
You know, you know, do you have that friend of yours? You're just like, God, I don't know what's going to make them click. Are you really going to rescue them? Do you have that work colleague who's constantly having a go at you at work because of your faith? You, I don't know, God, if is your gospel really going to make a difference? I mean, do you, do you have those uh, moments or friends who've walked away or, or whatever it is, and you kind of think, God, and we kind of get the world crushing and our own hearts getting crushed and forgetting God still rescues. He always has, has he not? God rescued you and me. I mean, if you want to know what the most wondrous thing is, that a God of the universe would even bother sending his glorious, perfect Son to do the wondrous work on our behalf to be rescued and saved. This is a God who still does wondrous work despite of you and me. That is gracious of the Lord. That is gracious of the Lord. You know what that means? Something I want you to consider this week. Firstly, Maybe you need to stop with all the noise that's going on in your life through your work and social media and a bunch of things that might be going on. And you need to simply ask the question. I've had to ask this myself. Does God still work wonders for you in rescuing you and me? Or has your own sin in life or the circumstances around you drowning out that God still rescues and does wondrous work? Is there someone in your life a family member, a work colleague, your neighbor, a son or a daughter who've walked away from the faith, and in your heart and mind you think, God, I don't know if you can really rescue. Friends, the story is a reminder God still rescues. He will. This past week I had a meeting in the city with a, um, a gentleman who uh, works in ministry and, is, and he's a preacher and he travels the world and um, I was spending time with him and talking to him about some things, and he, he said to me this story. Now, I can't account for this, but in that, it's just it's God. There's no other way to explain it. And I'm sharing this to show you that God is at work. God will rescue. His, he will do his work. He said to me, oh, I said, oh, you know, um, I'll change the name because it's getting recorded. Uh, let's call him Steve. I said, hey, Steve, you know, how's your day today? He goes, you know what? I had planned to have a day off. Uh, and he works with a particular church, and uh, so I had a planned day off. My wife and I were going to have breakfast. We we're going to take it easy, you know, just chill out. And, and we were all ready to go. And uh, he lives close to a particular church that it's associated with. And uh, the church rang and said, oh, look, I'm really sorry to bother you on your day off. But um, there's a lady here. Uh, we'll call her Amy, uh, who uh, has been reading the New Testament. Uh, she's from a closed-off area in the Middle East. Uh, and uh, she prayed and she wants to talk about Jesus. My friend is like, right. Okay, plans changed. So him and his wife go there and, and meet this lady and she's escaped from her husband and uh, she's fled to Australia and she's kind of on this visitor visa and she's all this crazy stuff. And, and he's listening to her story. And he said to me, Shabu, if you think anything is impossible to happen, this is it. Like everything is against her. Like you just think there's no way. But here is a God drawing this woman and rescuing. God still rescues. And friends, 
They remember the story of Manoah when Manoah says, hey, what must I do? In some sense, he's saying, what are the things we need to do to get it right? Please remember, the cross of Christ is a reminder to you and I, it is done. Christ has been done. God has done it through Christ alone. And our, and our life is not based on doing some sort of amazing vows to shape, don't shave our heads and don't do these particular things. We rest in grace. And so then you and I are called to live as salt and light. And we don't do the things like we mentioned earlier this morning that to, to sort of kind of keep ourselves holy, to make sure that we're all good and this is what it means. No, what, why we do those things, why we say no to things, why we reject sin, why we live in a particular way is because God has been gracious to us. Our security is in the one who has achieved it on our behalf, our great high priest. So friends, as we sing this last song about a God who is the God of wonders, may we be captivated with him day by day as we live for him in this broken world. Let me pray. Father God, I come before your throne of grace. I thank you for this reminder through your word. We ask that you would help us to be a people that are constantly in awe of the God who makes wonders. For those of us who know you, you have done a wonderful thing. You've given us your son. We're no longer enemies, but we are your children. For those of us who don't know you, please stir our hearts. Please change our hearts to give our lives to you. For those of us who are crying out for those who may seem impossible, humanly speaking, to bring life into barrenness or to rescue anyone who's not even maybe in a sense looking, help us to trust that you're a God who's always at work in rescuing people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.